0: Hi and welcome to the History Respawn Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. Today's episode is our 2021 History Game Award Show. In this episode, we will choose the History Game of the Year and give out awards for a number of fun categories, including Best History Game for People Who Don't Like History, Dad-Friendly History Game, and Best History Game for The Classroom. Uh, but before we get started with all that, let me introduce my co host on today's episode, recent collegiate esports championship coach, Professor John Harney. Hey, John. Hey, hey Bob. How are you? Pretty good. So, uh, yet again, it's been about a month and a half since we have oh. recorded a podcast. And uh, in that time, uh, we have been playing games and getting on with our life. But in addition to the normal activities of college academics, John Harney is also now been crowned a championship esports coach. So, John, could you fill our listeners in before we get to the awards show? Could you fill our listeners in into your uh, championship story?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. So, um, Center College fields teams in Overwatch and uh, Rocket League. And we compete in something called the National Esports Collegiate Conference, the NECC, which is actually an organization that grew out of a New England collegiate conference. And uh, we had a good experience with them last year. And so we signed up again in the autumn. And our Overwatch team went 4-0 and they kind of promoted us mid-season, which was awesome. But also we would have walked that division and instead we kind of you know we we were respectable in the next Mm, division yeah yeah um and the rocket league team then was in a different kind of a situation and the way they do it is they do placements so that you're in a division with about 11 between 8 and 11 teams that are similar skill level to you so um you're you you can win a championship for that particular group that particular division and the rocket league team started really hot and then had a terrible second half to the season um basically most of that team are actually on an athletics team. And so they were moving uh, kickoffs all the time and they had to forfeit a game. And it was just, it was, it was, it was a bit of a mess, um, but they got their act back together for the playoffs. And in particular, the men's soccer season ended before the esports playoffs began. <laughs> and so, uh, center college rocket league were an eighth seed in our division in wow. an 18 playoff. Yeah. And we won the whole thing. Wow. And it was, uh, I was thrilled for it. pretty excited. I'm telling you real, uh, Leicester that's City's it. got so, nothing on you. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, my record's quite good. My, my 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 win percentage, as Americans say, is not bad. So I'm hoping that I will be handing the reins over to somebody this summer, and I can say, "That's it." You know, like Costanza, I'm out. You know, <laughs> I'm going to leave while I'm on a high here.
0: <laughs> so, uh, I mean, do you get like a championship banner? Did you, you know, have a champagne party or anything like that? What was? <laughs> tell me, tell me about the celebration and the awards.
1: Well, they're sending us. They're sending us uh, in true college style. Uh, I I bought some pizza for the students. They hung out <laughs> and tried to get steam to work on one of the machines in the lobby, kind of thing. And um, uh, but we have t-shirts coming, and we have a trophy coming. So I'm wow. I'm looking forward to uh, presenting that to the to the team get some photographs and then we're hopeful we'll have an eSports space at Center College, maybe in the autumn of 2021. So that'd be a really cool kind of part of the opening ceremony would be to officially rehome the trophy from, you know, Harney's office, which is where it's going to be for the spring <laughs> into the actual eSports space.
0: So I wonder, I wonder what the trophy, is it going to look like a sports trophy or is it going to be like a, a giant golden uh, game pad <laughs> or a mouse and keyboard? What, what are we talking about here? Oh, that's such interesting in
1: eSports. I think it's going to be like a sports trophy. But eSports is such an interesting space because they oscillate wildly between wanting to effectively be sports, like traditional sports, mm-hmm. and then just doing their complete own random thing. And it just it just depends. So the trophy, I think, will be pretty standard. It, it'll probably look like a little, like one of those Jeff Keighley things he hands out, you know, like a bit of wood with some acrylic on top. Mm. We won't be complaining. We're thrilled. Yeah, We're sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, Take that for a CV line. I mean, how many historians have got that? Esports championship coach. I mean, incredible.
1: I know I wrote a letter of rec for a student the other day and um, I've only taught her once. And so most of the, most of the letter was, uh, I know her as her coach and she's great. And it was such a strange letter to write because <laughs> usually it's like, Oh, they got this great and they're really good in the group discussions. And I really like the, the stuff they hand in and you should a hundred percent accept this person to to where they're going yeah. to get their PhD or their BM or whatever. And for her, it was like, well, she's great. And I have a very not normal way of knowing why she's great. <laughs>
0: It's like a character reference, I guess. Yeah, you know, exactly. In that sense, yeah. yeah, that's so fun. Yeah,
1: it was it was wild. Well, congratulations. It a lot of fun. And yeah. yeah, well, thank you. It's the future. It's there's no there's it's exploding. Like I think so many high schools in the U.S. have esports teams now. And um, I um, I was I I I was contacted by a professional esports team out of Europe who are trying to develop a kind of an academy. Like a pipeline for college talent into the esports, wow. into pro esports. Wow! So they're they're proactively reaching out to small liberal arts colleges in Kentucky. That's how big a deal this is getting. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah.
0: It's like football yeah. manager or something, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's crazy. It's <laughs> absolutely crazy.
0: Well, and you know, in thinking about playing games competitively, it, it it's even a I would say probably a harsher age limit than other professional sports or other you know athletic competitions where mm-hmm. you know I would say a lot of professional athletes today can now regularly play into the late 30s which I think is kind of a recent development of the last 20 years with medical science but eSports players I mean you know overwatch yeah. and rocket League uh, fighting games I feel like your career is kind of done when you're 27 28.
1: Oh yeah. It's like gymnastics, honestly. I mean, like, yeah. that's that's one of the... Challenges. So, center's interesting. So, the NCAA doesn't do any esports yet, but because we're Division three, so for people listening, especially people who aren't American, what, what on earth are they talking about? Um, Division three, which is what Centre is in, at athletics, you know, we're, we are not allowed to give scholarships to players. You know, like, it's not the rules forbid it, and, and it's completely, you know, they come for academics and they can play athletics while they're there. Whereas Division one, like at Texas, where Bob and I both went... That was a different situation entirely where there's ninety five thousand people coming to see the football team and all these guys are on paid scholarships and all that kind of thing so esports is in a really weird space because what do you do and i think one of the big challenges you have is how do you set up a pipeline where by the time a a traditional age student graduates college age 22 in the united states they're kind of done at that point yeah like it's unlikely they're going to then hit the pro scene you know they you know so we'll see we'll see yeah things could change it could change
0: awesome yeah. Well, this is uh this will go on the front page of the uh <laughs> the one the website history respond. I mean, you know, how many podcasts, how many video game podcasts have esports championship coach material go. on their <laughs> on their advisory committee, let alone co-hosting the show. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm very impressed. Uh, okay, well, let's uh, let's turn to our own list of champions uh, for history games in 2021. And I was going to read out a list before we got started with the awards, uh, a list of games under consideration. Uh, and these are a list of history games that john and I have played uh, over the course of this year. And uh, these are not in any particular order, not Uh, really in any uh, real sensical order, not even alphabetical order. These are just kind of the the games as they occurred to me uh, right before (laughs) recording this. (laughs) Uh, So the list of games include uh, Age of Empires 4, Thatcher's Tech Base, Discovery Tour Viking Age, March Through Time, uh, which if you don't know was the uh, MLK in Fortnite mode, uh, New World, Humankind, Blackhaven uh, from Historiated Games, Old World, Organ Trail, and this is the uh, new version that came out on Apple Arcade this year from Gamesloft, uh, Hell Let Loose, Forgotten City, Overboard, Nebuchadnezzar, Sovoboda 1945 from Charles Games, Stronghold Warlords, Narita Boy, Jupiter Hell, Loop Hero, High Fleet, Armored Commander 2, Valheim, and Wildermyth. So that is the list of games that we have uh, come into contact with over the course of this year. And uh, briefly, we have got a set of categories that we used last year, and we've kind of uh, somewhat updated them uh, from last year. And so I'll read those out now and kind of leads up to uh, our game of the year. So these categories include shout-out games, and these are games that we wish we had played more. Uh, Best Stocking Stuffer. Uh, These are games that are small and quick, and then you could give as a gift if you're still in the gift-giving mood. Uh, History games for people who don't like history. Dad-friendly game. Best history game character. History topic we learn the most about from a history game best game for the history classroom worst history game of 2021 and this was a suggested category from our history respawn discord thank you Uh, most anticipated history game of 2022 2021's history game of 2022 this is a game uh, from this year that we plan to play a lot more of uh, next year 2020's History Game of 2021. This is a game from last year that we ended up playing a lot this year. History Game of 2021. And then Non-History Game of 2021. Uh, So those are the games. Those are the categories. And uh, I guess we could get started. And so, John, I've been talking for a while. So for our first category, shout-out games... Uh, give us your response and give us your awards uh, for shout out games, history shout out games for 2021.
1: Sure. So for me, it's kind of a hybrid of games. I need to play more, but also kind of games that don't feature later as much as I thought I would. The first one would be stronghold warlords, Hmm. which is kind of the latest stronghold game. And it's got a East Asia focus and a couple of interesting looking DLCs. One focused on the Mongol uh empire um another focus i believe i think it's the romance kingdoms the three the three kingdoms period um and you know for anyone who's ever played a stronghold game they're kind of a interesting they go back a long time the stronghold games so they're kind of the, these quasi city builder kind of a little bit like age of, age of empires but arguably more static type of a kind of a situation i guess of what i'd call them mm-hmm. and stronghold games have been an up and down now for a few years um i played a bit of this and it was all right um we might talk about Age of Empires 4 more later. Um, it really is a kind of a retro experience. And if you want to play a Stronghold game, it seems like a good bet. So that was one. Um, and then another game I'd love to just, I kind of dip my toe into it and didn't quite find the time, even though by all accounts, it's not a very time-consuming game, is Lake, which in the first, like in the 20 minutes I did play of it, was really charming. And I was just really intrigued and a little bit horrified by how recently it's set in the, in the sense of being a big history <laughs> game. So those are kind of my my two stronghold warlords. I think just deserves a better look. I just let people know that it's kind of out there, and especially if it's on sale, I think would be maybe worth a quick look. Mm-hmm. And then I'm I'm really intrigued by Lake, and we'll love to some more time with it in the future. Yeah. So Lake, how about you, Bob? Lake. For those oh, yeah, of you
0: who don't know, is a, a game. I think it's set in the late '80s, right? Yeah. And yeah. you you play as uh, somebody who is. Uh, uh, take amp a position of a, a male person uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and so that's a game that I, I wanted to put down for shout out games, but I didn't even have time to boot it up. I've got it loaded on my computer and I just I didn't have the time. so um, I suppose that's a shout out game uh, for me. but my, my shout out history game for 2021 uh, is humankind from Amplitude Studios, and this is the uh, 4X game, uh, kind of designed to be a challenger to uh, civilization, Sid Meier's Civilization, that came out uh, in the fall, and uh, this is a game that I was pretty lukewarm on, I think, I mean, especially compared to some other uh, critics out there, I just felt like it and made an, uh, maybe some weird decisions, uh, especially with regards to how it appropriated history and you know how it was presenting the past and you know it wasn't even a, an interesting game to play um but at the same time it's a game that I feel like I should spend more time with and I should have spent more time with and um you know it's just it just didn't really didn't really strike me uh as much as I thought it would especially given the fact that I'm such a huge fan of the forex genre so it's a it's a game that I feel like it deserves a, a shout out and it deserves a second chance maybe early next year.
1: <laughs> yeah, Humankind, and I might talk about it again later uh, if another certain game comes up, I feel like a lot this year, Old World and Humankind ended up in my brain in the same space of my head a lot. When I was thinking about these kinds of games and one of them kind of stuck there and I kind of Developed you know Feelings for And the other And I want A, a humankind I like forex games I love amplitude Of everything they've ever done And I do like humankind But I didn't find myself Playing it as much As I thought I would mm-hmm. And a lot of the, I think a lot of people Had that reaction mm-hmm. So So it's interesting But I think Bob it's worth your time To spend it Give it a bit more love Next year I'll do, I do. it i'll do it there's 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 stuff cool stuff going on that game
0: yeah and they'll come up with new content so i i think yeah i mean i think they've got uh, more dlc packs coming out so yeah maybe one of those will grab me but uh yeah just it you know it's the perfect game i think for me for this category because it's like uh you know i wanted to play more of the more of it i wanted to like it more didn't quite get there but maybe next year we'll see Uh, Okay, next category, best stocking stuffer game. This is a game that, uh, you know, people don't really buy physical games anymore. Uh, But if you did, this would be a game that maybe you throw into a stocking, um, you know, especially a stocking of somebody who's interested in history. Uh, And my stocking stuffer game uh, is called Hell Let Loose. And this is an online uh, multiplayer World War II shooter uh, from a studio called Black Matter. Uh, and this is a game that came out for free uh, if you have uh, PlayStation Plus. It came out as a free PlayStation Plus game, I think maybe in September or October, I want to say. And this is a game that I got a chance to play over the holiday break. Uh, So in the past couple of weeks, I played it on my uh, PlayStation 5, but it's also on uh, the PC, the Xbox, all of those. And this is a game that I think is perfect for this category because it's relatively inexpensive. Um, It's on sale right now uh, via Steam and uh, PlayStation Online Xbox for around $25. And it's a game that I got a lot of enjoyment out of. And uh, John, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to play it, but what makes this game interesting is it has a lot in common with the uh, recent World War I um, kind of online shooters like Verdun uh, and Tannenberg. Uh, where it is attempting to be more realistic with the Second World War. So I think if you've got somebody in your life who is interested in first-person shooters, uh, cooperative shooters online, uh, and is interested in the Second World War, this one has a lot to recommend it.
1: Yeah, I'm a little intimidated by it. <laughs> to be honest, there's kind of these, these big scale realistic team shooters. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it it's funny because they use realistic maps for the setting of these levels or these uh, um, you know uh, online uh, multiplayer matches. Uh, so realistic maps, uh, and but that also means that your spawn points are usually really far away from the front line, and so you're really having to kind of hoof it. <laughs> in order to get to the front line. And it's very often the case that, you know, you take like 10, 15 minutes uh, to get to the front line and then you're spending about five minutes in actual combat and then you die, right? And so <laughs> it's weird because like the actual combat time is probably much less than what you're used to with say like Call of Duty or Battlefield. Um, but uh, the in-game experience and kind of the realistic Nature of that experience, uh, it, it actually makes it, I think, more interesting than some of those other shooters. You know, mm-hmm. um, now one thing I would say is that, uh, you know, I think this game works as a stocking stuffer because it's relatively cheap. So if somebody didn't like the game that you got them, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. And I think there is a there's an opportunity here to, you know, maybe g- take a chance uh, with a gift and. If it doesn't work out, not that big of a deal. And there is a chance that's you know this person in question might not like it because it's so different from Call of Duty or from uh, Battlefield. I'd say it's a little bit closer to Battlefield than Call of Duty. But uh, yeah, in both cases, this is a game for kind of hardcore history nuts and not necessarily for somebody interested <laughs> in uh, that kind of
1: Call of Duty experience. Yeah. Well, for, you know, for, for me and looking at a stocking stuffer, I kind of took advantage of there's been a, a a bunch of games in the last year or so that kind of hit this kind of meta itch of like what it's like to play an old game, you know, like in a culture where you can buy a slightly weird, smaller Super Nintendo or Mega Drive and plug it into your tv and play these old games these are modern games that either feel old or deliberately evoking something old so narita boy is an example of that which is interesting narita boy doubles up as actually being historically set as well so it's set in the 80s it's got chiptune style music and you're effectively you know you are the player character is locked into a kind of japanese style computer game um you know that it's it's kind of a a a roguelike kind of platformer action type thing. Um, Jupiter Hell, which was, um, you know, a kind of a a more modern version of something called Doom RPG, which was done for a long time. Jupiter Hell has, you know, one of the few games that I played at work. In, in spells, I found myself playing it between students coming to visit me is how much I got stuck into that. Wow. But my but my my winner, though, the one I the one I went with was Loop Hero, hmm. which for people who haven't played it is um it's not an historically set game. Uh, now, it is. And I use this loophole all the time. It's it's kind of set in this kind of medieval slash fantasy or fantasy world that is very obviously leaning hard into whether you consider it the medieval world or just kind of a modern popular memory of the medieval world. Mm -hmm. Think of a kind of a Dungeons & Dragons slash thing or slash 80s board game type thing. Um, And Loop Hero, the music, the artwork, everything about it, it feels like a game, you know, written and produced in like 1988. Mm. Um, But it has all these little, you know, like a lot of these games, lots of little quality of life things that make it much easier to play. Um, and it's 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 cheap to begin with. It's $20, $20 I think. And on sale, it was only about $10 or so. And it's a great little game that you can kind of play and just... Um, you just kind of get into the loop of it, as it were. Yeah. So there's no real... There's bits of progress to keep you going and everything, but it's it's a great little game to dip in and out of for a while. Either you fall in love with it and play a lot of it, or you kind of go, that was a nice two hours, and you move on with your life. So Loop Hero for me. That was nice. a good game.
0: Cool. Um, so our next category is History Game for People Who Don't Like History. Uh, and my selection for this one uh, comes from one of our favorite studios, Game Development Studios here at History Respawn. That's Inkle Studios, uh, the makers of uh, Heaven's Vault uh, in 80 Days. And uh, their most recent game uh, is a game called Overboard. Uh, And this is one that uh, is available, I think, uh, definitely PC. Uh, I I know it's available on the Switch, and I also think it's available on mobile, you know, cell phones and uh, tablets as well. Um, and so this is a game that is uh, taking advantage of uh, kind of Inkle Studio's strengths, which is uh, narrative, uh, you know, capacity and writing and, uh, you know, their games are you this one is kind of cut from the same cloth as 80 days. So it's like a really complicated um, uh, choose your own adventure uh, game. And uh, this one is set uh, in uh, 1935 on a ship that is uh, traveling from uh, Britain to America. And you are about eight hours away uh, from landing in New York. uh, And you play a a former West End actress named uh, Veronica Villenzee. And uh, she has uh, decided to uh, kill her husband uh, while on this uh, voyage. And you are playing basically as the murderer. And you are trying to escape justice uh, before uh you land in New York where you can um ostensibly escape into uh safety uh basically um and so this is a really fun game uh because it's it's a history game and has major history elements uh you know it's set in 35 and so there's very much a sense of the interwar period there's very much a sense of uh politics and uh diplomatic relations going on Uh, in the Atlantic world uh, during this time period. And I don't want to spoil too much because it it kind of uh, conflates some with uh, the character development. Um, But I think it works for people who don't like history because it is primarily a murder mystery in which you are playing the murderer. Uh, And it reminds me a lot of the old, um, uh, well, old novels, you know, like uh, Raymond Chandler novels. It reminds me a lot of uh, Agatha Christie, of course. Um, but uh, it also reminds me of an old uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie called Rope. Uh, John, I don't know. Have you, I, don't, I, I you know never, Rope, yes. You know Rope. I've seen Rope. So Rope mm-hmm. is one of Hitchcock's early films. I want to say it actually came out in the mid-1930s, maybe early 1940s, something in there, uh, but it is a really interesting film because it starts uh, with the murder, and you see the murder, and you see who commits mm-hmm. it, and basically the whole... A movie is like a bottle episode of a sitcom in which everything takes place in one room and you're trying to figure out, will the murderers get caught? And that's basically how Overboard works. So Overboard, uh, Inkle Studios, uh, lots of historical elements in this, lots of great historical context, um, really great characters who touch on major historical events of this time period. But I think it works for people who don't like history because it's, it's a great murder mystery.
1: And that also sounds like when Warner Brothers finally gets stacked together and decides to license a Columbo game, <laughs> Incler the people to go to. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, I, speaking of Columbo,
0: um, I saw uh, somebody was passing around on Twitter uh, a supercut uh, from Columbo and it was all of the uh, segments in all of the Columbo episodes. I think the video lasted like three minutes, uh, but it was all the segments in all the Columbo episodes in which he was eating food. Or talking about food, <laughs> it was really hilarious. Um, but this this game overboard. This is something I want to talk about uh, next year on History Respawn. Uh, this is right in my wheelhouse. Uh, and in fact, when I was writing my dissertation on the history of international crime, uh, a big part of that story of international crime during the early part of the 20th century was crime actually committed on ships, right? And then who had mm. jurisdiction? Uh, And uh, so lots of interesting stories there. So I I can't wait to do an episode on Overboard.
1: Cool. Yeah, well, you know, so for me, in, in terms of this game, I'm cheating all the time. An honorable mention again for me, Uh, We might talk about this more in a few minutes, but the game Forgotten City, I think, is definitely Mm. an option here Mm, for people who don't know. It it began life as a Skyrim mod. um, And so to this day, it really kind of plays like one of those Elder Scrolls games, which at this point, because I think everyone has played Skyrim. In the world, it's like that was the old Wayne's World joke about the Fleetwood Mac album rumors that they just issued them when you moved to the suburbs. And Skyrim is that in video games, and um, so I think that's good because that like that that makes it easy to onboard yourself into the game. Um, and then, although the game has a heavy historical theme setting. Lots of really cool stuff. Actually, it kind of feels like an Assassin's Creed type situation as well because there's this mixture of kind of the the, the present and kind of arcane stuff mm-hmm. and this kind of historical exploration. But uh, but the one I actually picked for a history game, people who don't like history per se, is Valheim. Mm. Um, and for people who didn't get a chance to play this game, Valheim is a good game, which actually I need to play more um, in the future. Where uh, you're you're kind of a Norse person, kind of. Um, living in some kind of strange afterlife effectively although it is based on kind of a a, not a limbo exactly but kind of a a plane between different types of afterlives or interacting with these various deities and supernatural beings and everything but the game effectively is a survival slash building game Mm -hmm. um so in fact there was an article i think it was on pc gamer only this week kind of saying that uh valheim is my new minecraft and Mm -hmm. so i think that valheim definitely scratches that itch mm-hmm. um and so if you've someone in your life who likes those kinds of games the minecraft or various survival slash building you know you build a house for yourself then you build up your tech and so on and so on valheim would totally be an option and there's there's very heavy historical theme there then if the player wants to get into it mm. um nice so yeah and then and just just a really kind of a, it blew up early in the year where i think it sold a million copies of no time or something it's got yeah. a small development team and um but it, it it's definitely it's a good game. Yeah.
0: Yeah, really yeah. a lot of great work done by small development teams this year. Yeah. Um Forgotten oh City I think is made by four people. That's right. Uh, and then Inkle Studios is very small too. So uh really strong category uh for small studios history games for people who don't like history. So, yeah
1: yeah the stuff that people can can put together in these small groups is truly astonishing now yeah especially if they can outsource maybe the music or or you know one of the big things yes. they can't quite do themselves yes. yeah so you know so that's yeah it's a, yeah so in terms of like pulling people in then so for the dad friendly game we'll switch around i'll go i'll go first oh, thank you. i want to uh If you don't mind. No, no, please. You know, um, I was
0: going to do most of the heavy lifting because you'd won a championship. You know, if you could, you you were tired (laughs) from partying. Yeah,
1: I know. Walking around the city, holding it aloft. (laughs) Um, I, I want to give my honorable mention again. Uh, to Armored Commander Two, which hmm. is a really interesting game. Um, the first Armored Commander is just available on GitHub. If you wanted to, you could just go go now and find it and download it. But Armored Commander Two, which was which was an early release for a long time, but officially came out in 2021, is is wild. Again, it's another one of these games that feels like something produced and released in 1982, <laughs> um, and so it would be a dad-friendly game for a dad who misses his Amiga, maybe, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, is it really kind of, or his, or his, um, his Commodore 64, is that what they were called in the US? Yes. So yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it really feels like that and it's World War 2 based, which officially makes it dad territory mm-hmm. although we should say as we did every year um the dad here is a metaphysical concept your your dad in question could easily be a mom or an aunt or a sister yes. or a brother or whatever yes um, but there's a certain dad vibe um but i'm going to cheat a little bit because i know what bob picked and i have to confess that bob i picked the same thing because i i think because i think there was a clear winner in this category this year i think it won by an absolute like like a country mile yeah do you, want to, do you want to share what you felt was the most dad-friendly game this yes, year? Yes, so
0: dad-friendly game of the year. History Respawn 2021 official <laughs> is Age of Empires 4 from Relic Entertainment.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Endorse. It, it, is, it is it is like it is a dad game in its purest uncut form. Yeah. That, it's, a, it's a wild... Put that on the back of the We should talk about us. why, I guess. We should yeah. explain why. We... <laughs> so,
0: so Age of Empires, uh, this is a series that was originally... Uh, developed by Ensemble Studios. Uh, They did uh, Age of Empires 1 through 3 uh, from basically the late 1990s through the early 2000s. And then the series kind of went defunct uh, for about 15 years before uh, Relic Entertainment, uh, the makers of Company of Heroes, uh, brought it back, and they did definitive editions for the original three games. And so this release, Age of Empires 4, is their first uh, their first version, right? Basically, where they made it themselves uh, and released it uh, in the fall of this year, and uh, it's it's a pretty remarkable game. Uh, it is very much a late '90s um, real-time strategy game set in the medieval world, and you are playing through campaigns that are very similar to the ones that came out with Age of Empires II. Uh, in 98 or 99 or whenever that game came out and uh, in addition to having that uh, old school RTS feel uh, this is a game that also includes highly produced um, you know history channels slash uh, BBC2 quality historical documentaries uh, that you can collect while playing Uh, basically you get them as kind of trophies Uh, For completing campaign levels. And so these videos, they cover all sorts of things from the use of a trebuchet to the social structure of the Mongolian horde, all sorts of interesting medieval topics and done in a very highly produced, very slick manner. So. Uh, This is, you know, if you've got somebody, a dad, quote unquote, dad in your life uh, (laughs) that enjoys sitting down and watching, um, you know, BBC Two documentaries or watching stuff on the History Channel, uh, old school History Channel stuff, not Ice Road Truckers, um, (laughs) then this is a game for them.
1: Yeah, I can't and I can't emphasize that enough. Like Bob isn't even exaggerating here. That's exactly what the game is like. It's absolutely wild to me. -hmm. That it's it's such a, I don't know if discombobulating is quite the right word. It's it's it it really throws me. But it it is the game. It is the it is the dad game of twenty twenty one. No
0: question. If you've got a a quote unquote dad in your life that says, "Well, they don't make games like they used
1: to. This is (laughs) this is how they used to make them. This is it." That's right. Yeah, that's right. And by the way, real quick aside, so many remasters now. That mm-hmm. like, I feel like maybe two years ago, maybe even last year, we could have a conversation about, well, do we include remasters? Whereas now it's like, no, we can't. We actually can't do that because there's just so many. There's so many. It'd be crazy. And, you know, I think, I don't know if it was this year or last year that Age of Empires 2 Remastered or Age of Empires Remastered came out. Yes. Um, But Age of Empires 4 is better because it's it does all the things Remastered does, but it actually does have lots and lots of quality of life improvements. that Yes that really puts some people off. I mean, it sounds nice to play a 1995 game, but in practice it's, it's weird. Mm-hmm. Like there's no right click and think there's weird things like that. In some of those games. So agent Empires four solves those problems. Yeah. Uh, what about history game character?
0: Yeah. So my this choice, is a,
1: this is yeah.
0: my choice, uh, is somebody I came into contact over the past week. And that is, uh, our heroine for Inkle Studios Overboard uh, named Veronica Villensley, who is uh, a West end actress, uh, basically uh, Britain's version of Broadway uh, in London's West end. And uh, she's fallen on hard times and she's uh, married uh, a a socialite uh, who is a bit of a gambler. And so she married him for his money, but uh, he's basically gambled away uh, their fortune, uh, partly in Britain, but then also on the ship, on the way to America. And so she makes the decision to take her life in her own hands and uh, murder her husband, hoping to uh, not only uh, get rid of him, but then also to uh, collect the insurance money uh, for his death. And so uh, Veronica is very much uh the uh you know kind of the evil character the villain uh if you couldn't tell from her last name she's the villain uh <laughs> for overboard but she's also the protagonist and so you know her dialogue in this game is some of the sharpest and wittiest dialogue that i've seen in the game in a long time probably since you know inkle studios previous previous games um and she is just kind of unrepentingly bad uh but She's also kind of bad in a fun way, right? She kind of makes fun of people. Um, there's a, you know, she's the murderer. Uh, and so there is uh, different sections of the ship uh, that she can go on to try to cover her tracks. Uh, and one of the interesting sections is there's a, um, a chapel Uh, on the ship you know kind of a small corner of the ship that has a little uh some pews and then kind of a religious altar and she can go there and have conversations with god about what she's done (laughs) and god responds and just kind of like you're evil like go away what are you doing here why are you praying to me and it's just it's just fantastic to play a character who's just so she's so uninhibited you know she's just like i'm doing this i'm gonna try to survive uh and you know is evil right you know we would consider her to be evil mm. but is also somebody who is is fascinating and you, i yeah, i played the game just couldn't wait to see uh what came out of her mouth uh so yeah Veronica Villancy uh my best history game character a murderer uh, best history game character <laughs> for 2021
1: i i was going to give this to um mm. uh who was the second female pharaoh in mm-hmm. Egypt's history, yes, which I yeah. know because of Old World. and um, But I just wanted to give a shout-out very quickly to how successful Old World is mm, at bringing yeah. its player characters to life and then their heirs as you go through your gameplay. I mean, I, I just thought that was so good. Um, Hatshepsut, in the end, I had fun with her as a character, and she she lived a long life and she was just great. And then she, her kids were nowhere near as good. Um, so it was, a, it was a real, you know, thing. But uh, this is, okay, so I played Deathloop enough that it didn't it shouldn't have been in the shout out. I played it enough, but I haven't finished it. I'm saying that, Bob, just to make sure we're careful here because my pick is Colt from Deathloop. Yes, awesome. The protagonist of Deathloop. I just want to say real quick about Deathloop because it kind of, well, speaking for myself, it does, doesn't actually really get into the rest of the the, the podcast. Maybe Bob will talk about it later. I love the way the game looks. I love the way that game sounds. I love the character work. And for those who don't know, um, so Colt is the protagonist and you're the player character's character and you're you're caught in this loop in a kind of a hedonistic slash psychotic time loop trapped uh, environment that is very reminiscent to me of The Prisoner, the classic 1960s mm, English yeah. TV show. Yeah. And every, every uh, level or every kind of area he enters he's in a dialogue with juliana who's his kind of frenemy ish Mm -hmm. i I don't know yet that's a good description yeah yeah and they and their dialogue their back and forth is really good and colt and i think this is so hard to do when you're controlling the character yourself he's just so charming i just really like him you know I, i i really liked that's i wish i'd finished it in time for the podcast but uh he's great He's yeah. great. He's, he, he, he's emblematic of so many things I love about that game as well.
0: Yeah. And he's got a great style too. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. can pick up different outfits for him by playing the game as kind of rewards uh, for accomplishing different goals. Um, but all of them are kind of um, directly pulled from um, black exploitation films of the early to mid 1970s. And a lot of his costumes end up making him look like Shaft. Um, and he's just, he's awesome. And the voiceover work uh, for that game uh, is just remarkably good. And it has to be because there is a lot of dialogue, uh, you know, between mm-hmm. Colt and Juliana. And so if those characters didn't have good voice acting,
1: then it, it would really make the game drag, but they're really fantastic. They're wonderful. And I think Deathloop is such an interesting example of, a game that we'll totally cover for History Respawn, but isn't a classic history game per se. But, you know, I was just listening to an episode of the the Level Up podcast where, um, of course, now I've forgotten her name, but the host, she speaks to composers, and then the composer of Deathloop on, and initially he was just told, late 60s, that's literally all he was mm-hmm. told. And then as they went through the process, they would give him like, you know, here's a one pager on such and such um, a visionary, which are mm-hmm. kind of the, the bosses you take on. Um And it was just fascinating to hear how they kind of built that together and how he went to jazz musicians and it's such an interesting example of kind of a video game studio um immersing itself in a kind of a cultural historical reading, yes, and then using it for yes. what it wants to use it I think for. that's not a to great make a history to put game put per se yeah. yeah and that that I, it was great that's a and, great and, way to put it yeah yeah, yeah. all
0: yeah. right uh, so our next category is history topic we learn the most about, and so this is a a topic that uh, John and I uh, came across during playing these games and actually learned something uh, about the past uh, from uh, one of these history games. And so my answer is uh, composite bows. Uh, From Age of Empires (laughs) 4. And so going back to our uh, dad game category, um, Age of Empires 4 has a campaign focused on uh, the Mongols. And uh, during the course of that campaign, you come into various videos describing elements of uh, Horcharshers and uh, Genghis Khan and uh, the history of Mongolia. And one of those videos includes a magnificent feature on the making and use of composite bows. And it includes uh, a talk with kind of a leading scholar of uh, horse archery and composite (laughs) bows in the modern day. And it's just a remarkably good video. I'm sure you could find it on YouTube uh, by this point. But uh, if you want to find it for yourself, go and get Age of Empires 4. It's free on Game Pass uh, from Xbox. So... If you know, if you got a PC and uh, you have got a PC that's capable of running this type of game, go and get Game Pass. I highly recommend. And go and check out this video because it, it changed my life, John.
1: <laughs> it's the crazy thing about Age of Empires four is like you could easily be mistaken for, you know, not making fun of it of course, but like just, you know, oh this, this is this crazy, stupid game. It's like, no no no. These videos are extremely informative and very good. <laughs> like, they're really well done. Um, for me, it was uh, Norse architecture of the Middle Ages. <laughs> that <the laughs> I learned this year. And, uh, especially because when Valheim was first released and before they made some good changes to, like, how you build your house and stuff. But you had to go on YouTube and find a guy who was like, this is how to build a long house. Wow. And there was a little bit of... Um, a little bit of a sharing there of information with uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yeah, definitely. Which is technically a 2020 yeah. release. Yeah. And so I feel like, yeah. Well, I mean, but there was a say, Discovery
0: yeah. Tour also. So that came out this that's year. That's right. So, that's
1: right. Yeah. There you go. And I was going to say, like in the last 12 months in particular, I feel like, you know, the 20th century has dominated. I'm speaking as a 20th century historian myself, as are you, Bob, for the most part, right? Like late 19th, 20th. Yeah. Yeah. I'm used to that period dominating all kinds of cultural products. And I feel like the, um, we shouldn't call it the pre-modern period, that's a terrible term, but I feel like the (laughs) Middle Ages slash going to early modern is making a big, 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 uh, big push the last year or so. Yeah. So just in general, I feel like like Old World's decision to end as early as it does, like just to not go Critter Kings 3, which again is from 2020. Yeah. Like games before it going, yeah, we're stopping. We're stopping in the 1400s. We're good there. And so um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a pretty cool thing.
0: I think... You know, on the one hand, and this is really a big aside, so just, you know, go ahead and fast forward, (laughs) uh, dear listener, if you're not in the mood, if you want to hear more of the awards. But, you know, I would say on the one hand, I'm really excited to see other areas of history, other eras of history get covered by games and, you know, in particular more games about uh, uh, late antiquity uh, or about the early Middle Ages or the late Middle Ages or the early modern era. But one of the things that kind of annoys me about that is that I feel like the games that come out about the modern era, particularly the 20th century, those are the games where you get a very complicated view of history. You get one that's a bit more based on contingency, you get one that's a bit more complicated by multiple perspectives on the past, whereas I feel like games set in other eras of history, particularly the Middle Ages... Those are still kind of the stereotypical view of those past eras. You know, so the Middle Ages is about the Dark Ages. It's about the end of civilization, basically. And so on the one hand, I think it's great. But the other hand, I feel like those kinds of games set in other eras uh, just kind of perpetuate old notions of periodization in history.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And these are, I mean, we. this is like, this is one-on-one series. This is this a lot, right? And yeah. going into our next category, nice segue, Bob. You know, this is oh, something we you. talk a lot about with our students. Like, so the, ne- the next topic was, you know, is best game for the history classroom. And these are the kind of things we talk about. So regular listeners will know that Bob and I each kind of teach at our respective institutions a kind of a, a version of a history and video games type class. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, Bob, and I'm always being asked by various people, oh, so it's the history of video games? I'm like, no, no, it's not at all. Maybe I'll do a day on that. But, you know, we want students to make a game. We want them to think about what that means. Um, and so every year we do our best game for the history classroom. And going off Bob's point of periodization, things like this, and trying to get the students to choose what to do. My best game um, is actually is Wildermyth, which isn't a history game per se. Um, a bit like Loop Hero earlier on, it relies very heavily on a kind of a, a fantasy idea, which is clearly based on a popular memory of the medieval world. But the reason I picked Wildermyth is that it does it effectively does procedurally generated storytelling mm-hmm. and does it really well. Mm. And I was reading reviews of this game going, ah, I'm sure it's not that good The, the Wildermyth's trick. And the reason I would like to get students to play it for an extended session and kind of report back and, and talk to me about it is that. You'll make choices for your team, and you can sacrifice players and, yeah, sacrifice characters and so on. But what'll happen is the game is split into these kind of tales that are have multiple chapters to them. So over the course of four chapters, as it were, these characters grow and their relationships with each other grow. And if they're particularly successful, they kind of become legendary in the area. And so you can retire a character and they can build a statue to them and kind of memorialize them Mm. and other, other characters in the next, you know, playthrough will mention that or refer to it, or you can keep them on. And they're basically, so now instead of like four rookies, which you were in your first playthrough now in your second play, and I same playthrough, but these are different areas. These are different campaigns and all kinds of stuff. Like lots of like little mini campaigns. You can have like one super amazing legendary guy, With three rookies or whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of has this sustained thing. And so when I'm, I will be, I'm not sure yet if I'll ask them to buy it and play it, or maybe I think we'll do it together in groups in the classroom and just get them to talk about what happens when these characters effectively accumulate histories of their own, which then get plugged into these communities in a fantasy fictional setting, like this is what historians talk about all the time when we're looking mm. at sources and stuff. So I think Wildermyth, I haven't done it yet, so fingers crossed, but I think the potential is big there. I'm excited about it.
0: That's really cool. Um, yeah. I yeah. love the idea of following, you know, kind of a group of heroes over their career and then, you know, kind of the memory of those heroes. It reminds me a bit of uh, a game called Rogue Legacy, where you kind of follow yes. a, a genealogy of heroes trying to, you know, get through a dungeon. And it is uh, you know, as the name suggests, it's a roguelite, right? So you're kind of making runs, but also you are dealing with the kind of past decisions and the past genetic deficiencies of previous heroes that you've used to try to get through the dungeon. So and I always like, oh you know, I should do rogue legacy for um, you know, history respawn. I was like, I couldn't really think of a good way to do it, but it sounds like <laughs> Wildermyth has got some of those same sort of ideas and mechanics going on in something that's a bit, a bit more robust, at least in terms
1: of story. Yeah, yeah totally. And what, what about you, Bob? What did you pick for? Best Classroom
0: Game. Yeah, Best Classroom Game. I picked uh, the new release uh, from Charles Games, uh, Sovoboda 1945. Uh, and so Charles Games, they are should be uh, well-known, hopefully, to listeners of History Respawn. They are the developers of the award-winning Attentat 1942. And so they develop uh, history games that are adventure games set in uh, Czechoslovakia uh, in in the Czech Republic uh, during the Second World War and then uh, immediately after uh, the Second World War. And so uh, Sovoboda 1945 uh, deals with events in Czechoslovakia, particularly uh, the Sudetenland, uh, kind of western Czechoslovakia, uh, during uh, the Second World War, and then what happened uh, to that region after the war was over. Uh, And there is a lot of great historical material in here uh, related to um, uh, the Holocaust, related to uh, force expulsions of uh, German uh, Czech citizens uh, in 1945, uh, the treatment of uh, Czech and uh, German Czech citizens in the early Cold War era, uh, really starting in 1946 going through 1948. Uh, and then a little bit of discussion, interestingly, of a topic I didn't know anything about, uh, but the uh, migration, uh, the immigration of uh, Czechs from the Ukraine uh, in the post-war era. This is something I didn't even know there was a population of Czech citizens uh, who lived in the Ukraine. Uh, but after the Second World War, they, they came back home. Uh, basically, they were they were forced out. Uh, by attacks uh, from Russia, basically. And so they came back uh, to this region of the Czech Republic. So really interesting, kind of maybe that's a, a, a secondary uh, winner for historical topics I learned the most about. And uh, this is a game. it is a uh, basically an adventure game, a point and click adventure game. Uh, it is something that's available on just about any system. Uh, And I think they have a phone version as well. They have a phone version of a 1942. So uh, this is a game that I think would work really well in the classroom because it deals with a lot of uh, interesting historical topics. It does so in a way that is informed by historians, by scholarship. Uh, Charles Games, they receive uh, funding from uh, the Czech Humanities Foundation, uh, Charles University uh, in Prague. Uh, And so this is something that relies on historians and historical scholarship. Uh, And then it's also something that is relatively cheap and runs on anything. And that is basically a perfect combination uh, for a classroom game. And in addition, it only lasts about maybe two, two and a half hours.
1: That sounds great. That's what they're doing is there's there's a lot of growth, I think, of academics starting to make their own games um, or to kind of play in that space and stuff. But I think Charles Games is doing a fantastic job. Yeah. And not just that, but like, I, you know, I've taken, I've taken trailers of theirs and their website and shown it to like people in the theater program here at work who mm. are interested in multimedia productions of their own and stuff like that. So uh, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. And I, I feel bad swinging from Charles Games, who we love, to a worse history game <laughs> of 2021. <laughs> hey, Bob, I'm going to let you in a minute because I think, I think there's a clear winner. But before we get to the clear winner, I have, I have a weird, I don't know if it's a dishonorable mention or not, for New World.
0: Mm, okay. um,
1: and I, I feel conflicted about it because I like New World. And I don't, so for people don't know, New World was, you know, Amazon finally, Amazon Studios made a game that was actually pretty good. And it's an MMORPG um, where you're not actually um, colonizing North America Are the Americas in the 1500s, But you kind of may as well be, Mm. in the sense that you're in this slightly adjacent alternate. You're fighting strange spiritual beings, but the game takes a lot of visual language from kind of frontiersmen in, you know, Kentucky and Virginia in the fifteen hundreds. And the opening uh, cutscene features a guy effectively wearing a stylized take on a conquistador mask, and. I don't have the problems with this game that some do, but I completely see why they have those problems. And I think that basing the stylistic and language and visual vocabulary of your video game on the colonization of the Americas in 2021, you know, that was a choice, mm. you know? And I think that I don't know that I would have made that choice. And so I, I, I wouldn't, So I have really mixed feelings about it, but I think it was worth bringing up in this particular category just to put it out there. Of like that was that was that was it was definitely a swing. I'll put I'll put it that way Mm -hmm. for sure.
0: Well, you know, maybe it's not surprising that a company like Amazon that is hoping to colonize space is interested in the history of colonization. I'll just I'll just put that out there. Um, So my uh, nominee. Uh, for Worst History Game of 2021, and this is a category uh, that was put forward on History Response Discord, Uh, so thanks for the recommendation. Um, And uh, my nominee is uh, March Through Time, uh, which is uh, basically uh, Martin Luther King's uh, and the March on Washington depiction in Fortnite. Uh, So this is a game that uh, really... Uh, I feel does a, a disservice to uh, the March on Washington, to uh, Martin Luther King, to the "I Have a Dream" speech, uh, and is something that you know allows player characters to go in and get kind of the kind of glossiest version of that history without much context, uh, while also being able to promote and use emotes. Uh, from Fortnite <laughs> and also various, uh, you know, skins uh, that are available in Fortnite. So it is, I think it had the potential, you know. I'm very much, you know, it, people have listened to History Respawn. I'm very much a glass is half full with history games. And so I look at this as an opportunity, you know, to reach an audience with history in. In incredibly, the most popular game in the world, you know, Fortnite. So I look at it as this is a great opportunity. This is something that probably should happen, right? If we're really serious about reaching people with good history, then it would have to appear eventually in something like Fortnite, right? So I don't have a problem with this kind of material appearing in Fortnite, but I do have a problem with it being this bad. And I feel like (laughs) all of the press related to this game has just been awful. And, uh, you know, as an aside, if you haven't been listening to the show, I did attempt to do an episode uh, with guest scholars on this mode on March Through Time. And all of the guest scholars that I approached turned me down. Right. So that should tell you enough about Mm -hmm. what the opinion uh, they had of this game mode uh, related to Fortnite. So worst history game of 2021. My nominee is uh, March Through Time.
1: And I think it's the winner. (laughs) And I think, but, but, you know, it's such a great point, Bob. I mean, Jeepers History Respond in so many ways is built on the idea of meeting people where they live, you know, like there's no point in us sitting in our ivory towers and so on and so on. But, you know, there's a reason books work. And there's a reason, like, we'll probably discuss MLK in my class in a week or two, probably the day after MLK Day when we come back from, from that holiday. Because, you know, one of the ways they can approach making a game is biography, right? And it's like, so how do you think about this and talk about it? And this Fortnite implicate, you know, I get it also felt so shallow of like, this is what a bunch of like, you know, I can say this now as middle-aged man, what a bunch of middle-aged people thought young people would be into. Yeah. And there wasn't any, any effort to make it something substantive. And there's so many other examples of substantive discussions, interactions yeah. in games and in simulations and you name it. So it, it's, it yeah, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. was, it was not, it was not good. It's yeah. I mean, it
0: is, <laughs> it's really bad and it's, uh, it's just terrific, honestly. So I'm, I'm glad we didn't spend more time on it, uh, honestly in the show. I mean, you know, I wanted to cover it just because I felt like it was important, but not because I thought it was good. And that, you know, that happens occasionally, uh, with history respond. So, but not often, thankfully. So. All right, well let's let's get out of that terrible category and let's turn our attention <laughs> to next year. And so our next category is most anticipated game of 2022. And so I've got a list here of games history-related games that are uh, supposedly coming out next year. Now we know with the (laughs) pandemic, things have been really weird with game development like anything else, so we'll see if these actually come out. Uh, But this list of uh, games that are coming out in 2022 include uh, Nightingale, uh, which is a uh, crafting and survival game uh, with the 19th century flair uh, that's being created by former Bioware developers. Uh, The next game is Steel Rising, uh, which is a steampunk French Revolution game with robots. Uh, Horizon Forbidden West, uh, which has a lot of historical elements to it, even though it's not really a history game. Uh, A Plague Tale Requiem, uh, which is the sequel to A Plague Tale, which is a game that... We should have covered for history of respawn. we just haven't done it yet, so yeah, maybe, maybe this new game will force us to do so uh companies of, company of heroes three uh God of War Ragnarok uh and then lastly uh Victoria three from uh paradox, which may probably won't come out yeah. next year, but we'll it's see just a pinch it's of salt. it's yeah, been it's been announced, know. but Victoria three yeah. yeah maybe maybe not we'll see so John, what is your what is your award winner for most anticipated history game of
1: 2022? Um, I'm very excited horizon for West. I love the first game, um, Victoria Three. If it comes out, um, I am so curious to see what they do because for those who don't know, like in Victoria Two, so Victoria, the Victoria games are more paradox games, like European Universalis and um, Crusader Kings and so on. But Victoria Two is literally, you know, building railroad tracks across. The new world, you just you know, or across the world that you were you were colonizing, it's 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 nineteenth century imperialism, the game. So yeah, I'm really interested in what they do Victoria three because in the current climate, um, which is a good climate, I think <laughs> I think that paradox, I'm sure they understand they've got to be careful to make lots of interesting noises. So I, that isn't much anticipated, but I suspect I'll be saying the same thing again this time next year. So I'm going to cheat and do something out of left field, and Bob doesn't know that's going to happen because I remembered this game after we started recording. But my my actual one is Trek to Yomi, which I'm mm. super excited about. What's that again? Is, so it's this kind of side scroll. Well, I don't know if side scrolling, but it's uh, you're a samurai whose master has just died, and it is an extremely, extremely stylish, uh, beautiful looking right. game with some with some experienced and good game writers. Um, signed up to be the writers for it. Um, I know so little about it, um, but I'm completely, completely suckered in. It really feels, it's funny because, you know, it was announced, around the time it was announced, uh, Ghost of Tsushima kind of was at a high point or just come down off a high point. And Trek Yomi feels like the intentionally intellectual, quiet, chill antidote to that game. Mm. And I like Ghost of Tsushima. I, I like that game a lot. Um, but Trek to Yomi, um, you know, is another samurai kind of a, you know, cinematic type game but with mm. completely different, much more kind of indie vibe. Um, so I'm excited about Trek to Yomi a lot. Okay. Um, and I hope I'm right. I hope it is, does come out. Maybe maybe it will also be discussed this time next year. Along published, with Victoria Three.
0: Published by Devolver Digital, which is, yes. uh, I think, one of our favorite publishers and developers so yeah awesome yeah, so truck to yummy good i've got the steam page pulled up here yeah so it says release date 2022 we'll see fingers crossed we'll uh, see yeah uh but my most anticipated game and i feel like i've talked about this on the podcast a lot is uh horizon forbidden west i think this is a game that uh touches on a lot of interest of mine it is Kind of a mixture of sci fi and adventure. It is got a lot of interesting archaeological and historical elements. Um, and it is a game that is very interested in environmental issues and issues related to artificial intelligence. And I think that the uh, first game, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, was a classic open world game and probably the best game uh, that came out that year, but it was greatly overshadowed by uh, Zelda. Uh, And uh, yeah, so Breath of the Wild just kind of stole its thunder. But I think anybody who's got access to a PlayStation, uh, PlayStation 5 in particular, uh, should uh, check out Horizon Zero Dawn and hopefully also check out Forbidden West, which I think is coming relatively soon next year i think it's february or march Uh, i think they're going to get that out the door so yeah i can't wait for it to come it was supposed to come out this year but you know obviously delayed uh like a lot of things were by the pandemic so uh yeah i'm still still really looking forward to that so um, horizon
1: zero dawn is on pc by the way yes for people listening yes so if you can run it it's pretty cheap and if you didn't play it you should we, but bo- I couldn't. Rec- I recommend. I joined Bob in recommending it. Yeah, it's a really good game. Really yeah. good game.
0: Okay, I am going to announce the next two categories because they are weirdly worded, and I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, so the first one is 2021's history game of 2022. Uh, in other words, this is a game uh, from this year that we hope to play more of next year. and We will definitely play more of. Uh, next year and uh, my game uh, for this category is old world uh, from Mohawk games. This is uh, Soren Johnson and company's new four uh, X game uh, set in uh, kind of uh, the classical era, late antiquity. Uh, and it is an excellent iteration on uh, the civilization forum formula. And uh, yeah, I can't wait uh, to play more of that game. I played a whole bunch of, Uh, kind of in the late summer early autumn Uh, and I wish I could have played more but I was waylaid by other history games I had to play and uh, grades to to put in and classes to teach and so this is a game that I've got loaded onto my laptop and I can't wait to start playing it uh when I start traveling uh, uh next next year and uh into into the spring, in the summer, hopefully. We'll see. I, I hope mm-hmm. they get a chance to kind of iterate on this and maybe, um, you know, provide some DLC. I don't know what they have planned, but I, I can't wait to play more of this game.
1: Yeah. Well, for me, it's Voboda 1945. I, I have to play that. I haven't played it yet. I have to play it. It's crazy that I haven't. Um, maybe, if I'm lucky, I'm teaching this video in this class in January, I might play it with my students, perhaps. We do, do that together in the classroom. Um but I, I i need to play more of that game um and go from there and 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 probably play more old world too we just went through the category a minute ago um spoiled for choice doesn't even begin to describe <laughs> you know our good fortune if you're a history nerd you like know, play video games yeah you think you're in good shape yeah you know? yeah definitely
0: uh and, and then, then in terms of it, oh yeah oh, go, go ahead sorry. no no you go ahead
1: i was going to say in terms of games from 2020 that played this year technically the correct answer for me in terms of number of hours is Critic Kings three that's a bit boring because people are sick here we talk about consider Kings games um, but I want to pick a game called yes your Grace mm. which okay. I played a lot yeah. of in the first half of the year and people who don't know um, it's a really nice kind of it's it's very attractive game it's kind of a hand-drawn style um, indie type uh, game where you play the ruler of this kind of again clearly medieval and medieval you know Kingdom um and you're effectively kind of walking around your castle and talking to different family members and talking to different groups and bestowing favors upon subjects and entering into negotiations with allies or enemies and stuff and it's just a very kind of a you know a strategy rpg hybrid type game um which i really encourage you to, to, to check out i just i kind of missed it when it came out in 2020 and i played it i'm not sure how long, i spent a good few weeks earlier in this year just really enjoying it and it, it's it's really worth a look and um just a really um again bob mentioned earlier what the the, the good work that small teams are doing like what yeah. really impressed me on so many of these games and yes your grace is a good example of this is like just so impressed with how how tight everything feels yeah. you know like like people have really polished these games really well like you just don't need to make compromises it seems and it, it, that's so impressive yeah so yes your grace is worth a look for
0: people gosh that's a game that's been on my wish list for a long time i haven't gotten a chance to play it and it means a lot to me to have you mention that and recommend it. Um, I definitely definitely want to check that out. So that was your 2020s history game of 2021, mm-hmm. right? So a game you right. played a lot this year. Uh, so my uh, game from last year that I played a lot this year uh, was Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And in particular, I played a lot of the Discovery Tour mode, uh, which I think I ended up playing through twice. I, I played it through in... Um, kind of a pre-release version, and then I played through it, most of it again, uh, once it came out. And I think this version of Discovery Tour mode, it answered a lot of my criticisms related to previous versions of Discovery Tour from Ubisoft. Um, You know, this is a version that has the kind of interactivity I was looking for. It has more robust, uh, you know, versions of historical information and entries uh, in the database. Um, it is something that's got a narrative structure, which I think really fits uh, the style of game that it comes out of. You know, you know, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is really known for its narrative. Um, and I think it's one that it is the closest of, that the Discovery Tour modes have gotten so far, Of something that I would actually recommend somebody use in a classroom setting. Um, I think the previous Discovery Tours uh, for AC Origins and AC Odyssey, those were games, those were versions of Discovery Tour that I I couldn't really recommend somebody try to use in a classroom. But this one, I think, has got enough going on. It's got enough historical weight. It's got citations. Um, It's got enough interactivity. Where I could see it being used in a classroom setting, or you know, outside of classroom for homework or an assignment or something like that, um, and so I think it, it kind of retroactively, this version of Discovery Tour, it made AC Valhalla more interesting to me because, you know, I think Valhalla it was by far the most uh, popular in terms of sales and in terms of interest of the most recent AC games, Assassin's Creed games. Uh, but for me personally, not really interested in Vikings, not really interested in, <laughs> um, you know, kind of early medieval history. Um, but now having played that Discovery Tour mode, it's gotten me more interested in going back and trying to finish Valhalla, which is right now the only Assassin's Creed game I've never played through. Um, so I'm
1: um, about 40 hours into it and I just haven't finished <laughs> Yeah, they're becoming, so, you have to, you have to, you know, yeah, you to pay someone to do your job for it. That's for right, you can that's right, it. that's yeah. right. So,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, so Discovery Tour Mode kind of reinvigorated my interest in AC Valhalla, which is something I didn't think could happen. I thought I was done, 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 done with that game. And, you know, I say that's a game that you could use in the classroom, but it isn't my recommendation for best game, history game of 2021 for the history classroom, just because of the price of Discovery Tour, and then also um, kind of the technological limitations of most computers in history classes. Um, You know, Discovery Tour mode, you can play it on kind of the lowest graphical settings, uh, but still it's a game that requires a lot of RAM. It requires a lot of memory on your computer, on your hard drive. Uh, You know, it is a beast And, uh, you know, most computers that I come into contact in my community college, John comes into contact, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. at his liberal arts Mm -hmm. college. These are computers that could not run this type of game. So, you know, it's a game that I would recommend if you are at a like a a research university that's got a lot of money. Maybe you could do that for your whole class. Uh, But as far as a game, a general game to recommend for the history classroom. Uh, Discovery Tour mode is still just too far away, uh, from my perspective.
1: I, I will point out that um, uh, Ubisoft and Amazon have kind of got a partnering thing. You you could you could theoretically stream Valhalla yeah. and Discovery Tour mode over the um, Amazon Luna service. Um, my experience in third level education is that um, your access to a very high quality, you know, uh, fiber net or whatever it would be connection. That would make such a thing doable is similar to the places that have that already have the computers that can run the game. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so if you happen to be in a situation where you'd like to use it and you have access to really a really good like wide you know uh, uh, internet you know like fiber or something like that, that might be an option for you. But, um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, I just wanted to point that out. But yeah, Bob's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: All right. Well. That brings us to our main category, uh, which is actually our penultimate category, but it's the most important category for History Respawn, and that is History Game of 2021. So, uh, John, why don't you give me your nominee, your winner? We'll say John's winner and my winner uh, for History Game of this year.
1: We're actually... We're actually, we have a consensus, Bob. No kidding. We have a consensus, oh we do. Gosh. So I, I know you kind of have an honorable mention. Do you want to talk about that first?
0: Well, my honorable mention is a game that I've played in the last couple of days and it is uh, Forbidden City. Uh, and this is a game that uh, came recommended to me uh, from various sources, but uh, primarily from somebody in my uh, DMs on Twitter. Uh, they were basically imploring me, this is a fan of History Respawn, implore me, to cover this game uh, for most of the second half of the year on the show. And I was like, well, I just, I I don't know if i got time. There's so many other games that have come out. You know, I don't know about this game. Uh, you know, I'm interested in Roman history, but I feel like we kind of, we've covered a lot of Roman history, you know, over the past few years. I just, I don't know. And so finally <laughs> they got to me and I was just like, okay. And it, it came out on game pass uh, on Xbox game pass on PC So I downloaded it uh, during finals week at my school. Uh, And then, of course, uh, the holidays hit. I was too busy. And then, uh, you know, I had this date for our podcast. And I was like, I've got to play Forbidden City before we get to that date. And so I finally loaded it up yesterday. And then I played through it from yesterday into the wee hours of this morning. And I got to say, I'm incredibly impressed by that game. Um, You know, narratively... It's uh, just really remarkable. Uh, it is a, you know, I, I excuse my language, but it is a Skyrim-ass Skyrim game. Uh, you know, it <laughs> is very much of that mold, but uh, it's incredibly good, great story, and I like what it does with Roman history and Roman culture. You know, it does interesting mm. things where it kind of weaves in elements of uh roman society and cultural differences between rome and modern society uh, and makes that a part of the storyline and it's a remarkable game i really liked it and it you know it just takes a few hours i, th- I think i finished in about five and a half hours so yeah forbidden city uh, is it's a i would say for me it's a distant second but it is a highly recommended second place for me for history game of 2021
1: yeah, endorse and that game does. Um, it's hard to explain. Like you could go and you could Google Forbidden City. You could Google Forbidden City endings, for example. Right. Nice. Which I which I wouldn't do before you play the game, but you could do that, and it doesn't. It just doesn't convey to you how fluid and how impressive the narrative kind of choices are in that game. Yeah. Like that's and, one of the coolest things yeah. about that game.
0: And another thing, very briefly, is that it's a very difficult game to describe, without spoiling mm-hmm. it. So I'll just leave
1: it at that. <laughs> well, go ahead. You should announce the game, Bob, because it, we, we we are in agreement. But So I, this is should, consensus. You have then. the honor. Okay. Yep. Well, so That's history
0: respawns. History game of the year for 2021 is Old World from Mohawk. Uh, so I just talked about this game, uh, you know, related to how I'm going to play more of it next year. And, you know, in terms of what it did this year as a history game, I think it did a number of things that were really awesome. Uh, First thing is that it does something really interesting with history and it limits the history that it looks at to the ancient era, right? And so it is a 4X game. It is a game that's cut from the same cloth as Sid Meier's Civilization, but is one that I think does a great job of enlivening the ancient world. And so this is an ancient world in old world that is not just about Rome. It's not just about the Greeks, uh, but it brings in other civilizations and other histories and other cultural legacies in a way that I feel like you could get a, a bit of from, say, a civilization or humankind. But because this game is focused on the classical era, the ancient era, it really helps to build up those histories for civilizations and for societies that I think tend to get glossed over, uh, you know, particularly when you're talking about, um, you know, Western civ courses or even world history courses. Um, and it also is a great game for enlivening what is, um, you know, I think a really important genre for historical games, and that is uh, the 4x genre Um, so in terms of 4x games old world is a great innovation on elements of civilization Uh, it uh, gives us the order system uh, which gives a lot of tension uh, to the moves that you can make each turn in the game Uh, it has great elements of uh, character-based storytelling and you know taken from uh, paradox games like uh, Crusader Kings 2, um, and it also has got really great quality of life improvements to 4X games, including the ability to undo uh, commands. Oh, There's basically an undo button, so like good. you would find an award <laughs> processor in this game. Um, and so it's just a really incredible package, and I think my only negative thing to say about it is I wish more people talked about it, because... This is a game that just recently uh, it won uh, PC Gamer uh, Best Strategy Game for 2021. Um, But I don't think it was even nominated for the Game Awards. Um, And so, you know, it's kind of one of these games that I think is really well known to a certain subset of players, but not necessarily well known in the same regard as Civilization or even Humankind. And I think what this game did this year was just phenomenal so history response history game of 2021 old world john take it away anything you want to add
1: <laughs> just to say and I, I i'm sorry i keep mentioning humankind in the same conversation because old world deserves you talked about in it its own and i think every, i would agree with everything bob said about old world but you know i really i wanted i wanted humankind to be a bigger part of this conversation in me my too. Own head me too Yeah. and 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 i think amplitude continued i think they they did so many things that are impressive. So, if you play Humankind, the things of being able to switch civilizations at certain points in the game, um, or 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 have your community switch its identity, and all these kinds of things, and um, trying to rethink how cities work. There's so many cool things Humankind did and tried to do. But Old World, and the thing about Old World was. When the two games came out relatively close to each other, I preferred Old World, but I wouldn't say by some huge margin. Mm. But now that we're here at the end of the year, Old World is comfortably a better game for me because of everything else, they just, they tuned it just right. And that decision to cap the game and keep you just, you know, part of me wishes that you could, you know, have the fighter jets and the classic Civ four type stuff, but choosing not to let the player do that was inspired, you know, it was an inspired decision. I think, it, I think the whole game was tighter as a result. And I think Bob that for you and me and for others interested, um, you know, it, it's, it's sidesteps one of civilization's classic problems, which is this, you know, wig history, right. Progressive yeah. history kind of issue. Now it not to say that it completely solves it, but, um, and it allows you to, it allowed old world to focus on, Hey, we want, we want you to focus on, um, this female Egyptian ruler we want you to focus on um, what the Romans would be like if they had to deal with the Babylonians in a different way and so on um, and it and it didn't feel trite or ham-fisted or it just it just felt like yeah this this was the most fun thing to do this mm-hmm. was the right way to do it mm-hmm. and um, and, uh, and and they they really I'm I'm delighted for them I think it was an exceptional achievement it's just a really good game yeah you know, it's just yeah. really good. It's you know, it's the best history game this year. It's, yeah. It was, that was it.
0: And, you know, I would say in terms of its notoriety, I think, you know, what maybe hurt it a bit was the fact that it was only released uh, on the PC on Epic Games. Mm. And so yeah. it is coming out on Steam, I think, early next year, maybe by the summer of next year. So that should help its notoriety.
1: I hope. And I, and I think that, I don't know. I think it's latent. I think it's mostly subconscious, but I think there's a bit of backlash against Epic, just even in the industry. Yeah, I think a little maybe, bit, I think maybe. there's, a, and I think there's a reluctance on the part of some critics. and I, I can see where they're coming from. There's a reluctance to get too invested in a game. That is, that has been really walled off in a certain way. And that's hard because I'm sure Mohawk games made the decision it made for reason for very good reasons. Um, You know, not least of which creating a secure environment for your employees, you know, which I know they care about. So, yeah, yeah, so that was, no, well, well deserved. Will we finish off with a slightly more, with with, uh, a bit more um, self-indulgence with our non-history game of the year?
0: Yeah, so this is uh, our nominee for game that it might have some historical elements, uh, but this is kind of something that we don't really consider uh, to be a history game. Uh, that we think uh, was a remarkable game uh, yeah. for this year. And so, John, I'll let you go first.
1: Yeah, I want to channel, I want to make my second Seinfeld reference of the podcast. I want to channel some festivist energy here because Resident Evil Village is oh, not getting man. the love that it deserves. Oh, I know that, I know we all think it came out in 2018 or something, and that's the problem, right? Because <laughs> it, was, it was a long year. I get it. But that is, I mean, it might be the best Resident Evil game I ever played. And I like Resident Evil games. So Resident Evil Village, for people who haven't played it, or if you played 7, you have to play Village. And Village, to me, felt a bit like Resident Evil 2 to Resident Evil 7's Resident Evil. It's more action-focused, for sure. The story is getting more outlandish. It's just a very... It's a Capcom, Resident Evil, Japanese game with lots of white people in it. Weird-ass, you know, corporations are bad kind of game. And it's a it's a thrill ride, and it's nuts, and it's fun. Um, and you all know about the giant vampire woman, but there's so much other cool stuff going on in that game. And uh, I, I loved it. I thought it was the best game of the year. Well, best non-history game of the year. John,
0: I was, I'm so embarrassed because I was afraid you were going to nominate that game, or you were going to make that <laughs> your award winner for this category. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed because I'm a huge Resident Evil fan, but... I never got a chance to actually play oh. Resident Evil Village. Resident Evil 8, I you know, I just got sucked into the semester, sucked into history games, and I just didn't have time to get around to Resident Evil Village. And I think the reason why I never played it was because I knew if I started playing it, I wouldn't be able to stop. It would be one of those games where I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, now that I've started this, I've got to finish it. And yes. I just couldn't dedicate the time to that You know, when it came out. And then later on... When it got to the holidays, I had other things to play. I had to play Forbidden City, you know? And so right. I'm embarrassed. I, I bought it. It's on my <laughs> plate. It's loaded on my PlayStation yeah. 5, and I just I haven't, I haven't booted it up. You so see, I'm sad. Cause, I'm sad.
1: Because I, I know for a fact, Bob, you're a, you're a huge Resident Evil fan, and all I can say is you're lucky. That's how I think about it. You're, you have a, a pleasure awaiting you. I a New Year's it, uh, present to myself. Yeah, well my family my the rest of my family went to see my in-laws and I stayed here to work on the deck and I played 4 hour Resident Evil 8 game Resident Evil Village gaming sessions. That doesn't happen anymore in my life. Yeah. So you're right. It's going to Well how about but how about you, Bob? What was your what was your non-history game of the year?
0: So my non-history game of the year it's a little bit complicated because you know a game that I did have time for this fall was Deathloop and uh, this is mm-hmm. a game that John's already talked about at length, uh, Arcane Studios um, and uh, published by Bethesda. A weird game because it is like the last Bethesda game that we'll see on the PlayStation. It was a PlayStation exclusive, at least for a year. Um, an amazing experience, and I thought a slam dunk uh, game. I mean, I thought if you know anything about Arcane, they are the developers of the Dishonored series, and Deathloop is basically Dishonored with guns, except the combat is good and the (laughs) stealth is better. And it's basically an arcane game that works. Um, And so anybody who's played Dishonored knows what I'm talking about because those games, great on style, great on setting, but didn't always work the way that you felt as a player. They should, but Deathloop does. And so I thought that is my game of the year, no question. Non-history game, history game, whatever you want to call it. But then at the end of this year... I started playing Halo Infinite and I think my award winner for non-history game of the year is Halo Infinite wow. from Microsoft. Yeah, I know it's crazy. It's crazy. So
1: I, I believe it I believe its full title is Far Cry Halo Infinite. Oh. I'm sorry, I being
0: <laughs> Well, so so Halo is a series that has never really interested me. Um I always played the Halo games late. Uh, I think I played the first Halo probably about 2004, so a good four years after it had come out. The same with Halo 2. Um, I think I played John's version of Halo 3 in grad school. Um, Mm. Same with ODST. And so I'd played everything up to 4, and I never played 5. And I was having very strongly worded text message threads with John Harney all the way up to the release of Halo Infinite, basically declaring, why is anybody interested in this? These games stink, right? (laughs) They're not interesting more, you know? And so then the game comes out, it gets good reviews, and I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I've got Game Pass. I've got enough space on my hard drive. I might as well, you know, just try it out. So then I can have an informed opinion and also hate it. And then I played it, and it is fantastic. It's one of the best. (laughs) Now, now I've played a bit of the multiplayer. I I had a a fire team uh, of other historians put together, and we played for uh, several hours, and it's really good. But my recommendation involves the campaign, which I think is one of the best single-player campaigns since 2016, since uh, uh, Doom 2016 came out and since Titanfall 2 came out I think it's the best one of those campaigns since those games and it is a combination of what makes Halo a success but it's also a combination of what makes open world games a success and in particular it it takes the best parts of open world games like Far Cry and kind of whittles them down to what makes them work as an open world mechanic but then also what makes them work best with Halo, and I just, I loved it, and I played through the campaign, played through the side missions, and I'm seriously debating at this point going back and replaying the campaign, uh, because I loved it so much. I mean, wow, and I I feel like I've got a nominated for this category, because it's a game that I was so negative on. You know, I looked at the pre-release coverage, I looked at the videos from last year when they had to delay it, I considered my kind of past disinterest in the series and I was like wow this is this is not going to be great this is going to stink I basically thought the game was going <laughs> to fail and to have my opinion so overturned in the opposite direction it's an experience that I've had with the game very very few times in my life and so you know if you've got a, uh, a PC uh, an Xbox I highly recommend you at least try Halo Infinite and it does it is a game that starts slow so give it a couple hours wait until you get to the open world section and then kind of judge it on those merits
1: that's great it's no I think I think the world's a better place of good Halo games yeah that's that's what any console player our age many yeah. of us feel that way
0: well, and I, I just I I didn't think it could be done I was like, it can't be done. And I had the same opinion of Doom 2016. You know, when that Mm. came out, I was like, oh, this can't be done. You can't bring Doom back, right? It's so old, you know? Mm. Nobody cares. And it was amazing. And I feel like Halo hit that same high. And, you know, I think if you go out and read criticism, the story has gotten knocked quite a bit, I think for good reason. I think, I feel like the story is trying to tie up and clean up yeah. a lot of loose ends from Halo 5, which I think yeah. by and large is considered a disaster. And so I feel like you almost can't judge the story on its own because it, it's trying to fix those problems. But I think it works well enough on its own to make the game a huge success. And uh, listen, I am, I am completely stunned that this has happened, that I'm nominating a Halo game as my non-history game of the year. But here we are. Here we are. Uh you know. I eat crow. Uh, I'll eat my hat, whatever you want. It's uh it's a complete reversal. I'm stunned.
1: I think that's a great place to leave it though. Like I said, I I said for the last year and a half there's already a Halo game. It's called Destiny 2. And um Whoa. but I'm wrong. I'm ro- yeah, is in like that. If you want to play Halo, just play that. But I was wrong. And it's it I I was joking when I said the world's a better place with a good Halo game, but I don't know. It does feel like hey, there's i don't know let's just listen a bit of optimism going to 2022 i'm all for that so i'll take it as an omen of good things to come yeah that there's a good halo game out there
0: yeah okay well john thanks for joining me on this episode and uh dear listener thank you for joining us on this episode i hope you enjoyed the show uh, if you are interested in History Respawn's back catalog of content, uh, please visit our website at historyrespawn.com. And if you enjoy our work, uh, please consider supporting our show by going to Patreon, uh, www.patreon.com forward slash And until next time, hopefully uh, not too distant future, not two months into the future. Uh, <laughs> until next time, dear listener, goodbye.
1: Okay. Happy New Year. Yeah we should oh, say Happy New Year. Oh
0: yeah yeah we should say Happy New We'll leave this there. <laughs> so. Happy New Year, dear listener. <laughs> Goodbye.